Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. As you know, you can listen to us every week, uh, Eastern Time, 10 to 11, and that's live. And at the end of the day, we archive the show. Today, I am going to my first be talking to, and she is my first guest, and uh, actually my only guest for the show today, Bonnie Drager. Her new book is When Cancer Strikes a Friend, What to Say, What to Do, and How to Help. So she, what she says in her book is, you're not alone. Uh and neither are they. All the answers to the toughest questions when cancer strikes a friend. So uh, you're there for your friend and your friend who's been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, when you, one is diagnosed with cancer, and unfortunately most of us are aware of this, either being diagnosed ourselves or having friends, uh, cancer is uh, something that doesn't just change your life. It changes it for, the mo- for the moment, but it changes your life forever. And so we as friends are suddenly transformed into caregivers, listeners, and supporters, and sometimes we can just become overwhelmed. Uh, Bonnie is a is the president and executive director of Friends and Cancer and an ordained deacon in the United Methodist Church. Welcome to the show, Bonnie. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you, Catherine. It's nice to be here. It's quite a comprehensive book that you have. I've been reading it, and as you know, I'm a social worker. I'm your social worker with a microphone, so I've had a lot of experience both personally and with friends and also professionally with with those who are diagnosed with cancer. And I think I don't know anybody who hasn't been touched by cancer. Do you? No, virtually everyone is touched by cancer, whether it's as a patient or as a family member, a friend, a colleague, or a neighbor. And um, the issue that we wanted to address was the fact that we all want to demonstrate our care and concern, but we wonder what should we say, what should we do, and how can we help? And there just wasn't a resource out there. So now there is, and I'm delighted to be sharing it with your listeners. Yeah, Bonnie, I was totally surprised, and I guess you really went to the professionals. You went to Memorial Sloan Kettering. I mean, you really researched uh, this before you wrote your book as to uh, is there any information out there about this, and it, it's it's really shocking that there isn't, but I'm not surprised because, you know, when cancer strikes a friend, no matter how long you've been friends with that person, somehow people seem to be just totally at odds. They don't know what to say, they don't know what to do, and they don't know how to help. So your your book really is a, a prescription for, for that. So how do you want to set, start? Because this is a step-by-step guide, and it really is. Um, well, the uh, – when – I was diagnosed with cancer uh, a decade ago. There were over 400 books for myself and my family. Uh, Everyone that was in the cancer profession that was dealing with relationships was dealing with the relationships that and the issues that would be facing the patient and the patient's family. And no one was taking a look beyond that immediate circle of care and concern everyone who was outside the family circle. And so people were calling me and saying, we want to help you. We want to understand what you're going through. So where is the book for friends? And I thought I would just go on Amazon and, and pull one up. And I, after discovering that there were 400 for my husband and myself and nothing for my friends, 
I went to Memorial Sloan Kettering, where I was being treated at the time, and I said, where is the book for friends? Do I just not know where to look? And their response was, there is no such book that we know of, but this is such an important topic. If you will organize a project and you will lead it and write for it, we will all write for it as well. Just give us our assignments. And so that's exactly what I did. I began with five physicians, and then they assisted me in finding other people. We went to social workers. We went to clergy. We went to oncologists, surgeons. And I tried to tap areas all over the country because cancer is a very individual experience, and I did not feel that my experience was necessarily representative of others' experiences. We, cancer is as individual as an experience as the person is individual who's experiencing it. And so well, I wanted a broad there. perspective, uh, and uh, we were able to do that with hundreds of survivors and over 40 professionals contributing um, their expertise to this uh, nonprofit project. Bonnie, you're talking about cancer as a personal experience. So are there, and, and I understand that, and each family is different and your relationship with your friends are different, but let's, I want to talk about that. Why is it a personal experience? I mean, aren't there some general principles that kind of, you know, that are general to everybody when they're diagnosed with cancer or, or not? I mean, overriding general pr principles and perhaps ways we should respond to one another, or is it that individualistic that we really have to be in tune with each person's unique experience when they're diagnosed? Well, it's a little bit of both, Catherine. Uh, cancer is a communal experience in that if the person who has this disease is willing to invite others into the experience, an entire community catches it and everyone is the better for it. Having said that, each person responds to cancer in their own way. And the reason for that, reasons for that, is that we have our own um, experiences with family members, with friends who may have had cancer, and we, in our own minds, then relate cancer to their experience. Well, let's see, they had a positive experience, I'll have a positive experience. They didn't, I won't. And also, people tend to react to cancer as they would react to any serious life crisis. So if your family re reacts to things and does life with a sense of humor, you're going to try and find the best in the experience. If it's the reverse experience, you're going to anticipate a very difficult experience. So as I said, it's a little bit of both. Um, however, there are general guidelines that you can follow or it wouldn't have been possible to write a book. And so what we tried to do was look at all these experiences and find the common threads. And that, that I think is what we accomplished. Yeah, I think you did. And I think one other piece to that, in, in, you know, to add to your response is I think there are cultural differences in, uh, in terms of the way people respond to cancer. You know, I think one family that you had indicated said, you know, we don't talk about these kinds of things. Cancer is a, a private experience. It's not a public experience. So those kinds of families are not necessarily going to be wanting to talk too much about the experience outside the family, perhaps not to friends. Uh, whereas in other families, you know, all this, you know, it's not a personal kind of thing. It's something that you share with family and friends, your diagnosis of cancer. So that makes a difference for each family as well. And also, in addition to the cultural aspect, there's also uh, a generational difference. This 
the generations now that are experiencing cancer are far more open and vocal about their experiences. People who are elderly are more likely to be very, um, hold their experiences very close to the vest. They, they were taught when they were young, this wasn't something you spoke about. In fact, many people who had cancer uh, two or three generations ago didn't even know they had the disease because their physicians didn't share that information. And so it, right now, cancer is becoming much more uh, public, and people are willing to open them, themselves up. And when I was experiencing cancer, my husband and I needed to sit down and say, how are we going to face this? Is this going to be something that's just going to be held within the family, or is this something that we would like to share? And being uh, in a semi-public uh, profession, in other words, uh, being a, a pastor and being in front of the, the general public quite often, um, I felt this was an educational opportunity for others. And so we went ahead and said, we're going to let people into this experience from the very first. Um, in fact, there's a story in the book about the uh, way that I shared my experience the morning after I was diagnosed with the children in our congregation. And I explained to them, that for a while I was going to be very, very sick and I was going to go to the hospital, but then after a while I would be very, very well so that when I grew up I would be uh, a grandmother and maybe even a great-grandmother. So for a while I was going to have to keep my distance, but that I would be back. And I feel very strongly that we need to let children into the cancer experience too. Let them understand what they can, answer their questions, because when we shield children, from the truth, they're a lot smarter than we give them credit for, and they know something is going on, and generally their fears are far greater than the situation would require. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's true of any kind of a crisis within a family, and of course, as a social worker, I couldn't agree with you more. Yes, children are aware of what's going on, and it's much better to clarify it and to give them the information, because what, and, and for most of us, you become more fearful of what you don't know, and if you at least know what you're dealing with, then that you know what you're dealing with, and you can go on from there. So, okay, you and your husband actually sat down and talked about that you were going to make this an experience that you were going to open up to, not just friends, but you're saying, really, to public because you're talking about the kids that you were teaching or the, the you know the church environment so that even adds another dimension to it you're not just talking about friends or close friends that you're going to share your experience but to, to sort of everyone the the the, the world um, well and, and of course once once the book came uh, the book was begin well, at first was simply going to be uh, a booklet that we could just give away and share with folks. And as, as it grew into be a full-fledged project and a, and a complete book, we began to realize that our lives now were pretty public. And it, it was the issue for me simply was this was too important not to share with others. And that if you could model the fact you can be open about your cancer experience and everyone will be the better for it, then that, that's an important ministry in and of itself. Were there, Bonnie, any major surprises, We, uh, you know, when you decided to write this book and obviously you saw the need for it personally, professionally, was there anything that really surprised you as you began to write the book and gather your information, um, things that perhaps you didn't expect from this experience? Uh, well, I think... Why don't you what... save that? Because we only have a minute left and... Okay. Uh, we're going to take a short break, so we can wait and you can answer that question when we come back. I'm talking to Bonnie Drager, 
Uh, she's the author of When Cancer Strikes a Friend, What to Say, What to Do, and How to Help. And you're listening to The Catherine Zock Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, Bonnie and I are going to take a short break. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning has been Bonnie Drager. Uh, Bonnie, for those of you who are just joining, is president and executive director of Friends and Cancer and an ordained deacon in the United Methodist Church. Her new book is When Cancer Strikes a Friend, What to Say, What to Do, and How to Help. Bonnie, before we took the break, I asked you, uh, you know, as you were writing this book, gathering information as the book went along, any surprises, you know, because obviously you, as, as you mentioned before, you have been diagnosed with cancer, you're a professional, you're a deacon in the church, but a lot of experience. But any major surprises as you started writing this book about the dynamics of when cancer strikes a friend? Well, when I first began the research, uh, I gave out 400 questionnaires, and those were, they, that was pretty straightforward. And then I began crossing the country and uh, conducting 18 focus groups. And in the focus groups, I asked four questions. First of all, is this book needed? Uh, what do you want to see in this book? What don't you want to see in this book? And then, do you have any experiences or any uh, expertise uh, from being in the trenches as people who either have had cancer, are family members, or friends. And I think the surprises came uh, out of the focus groups. The breadth of 
uh, ways and, and the diverse ways that people were willing to set themselves out there and help friends who were diagnosed with cancer, it was astounding. People did everything from driving four hours each direction to take someone to a cancer appointment to stepping in as uh, a mother of the bride when the mother had passed away, making promises that we will be sure that we follow through on what you want for your children to see that they are know that they are loved and cared for all their lives. It was just an amazing to see how how wonderfully people would step forward and how serious they were about their commitments uh, to help people with cancer. I think that was the thing that surprised me the most. Um, I've seen that too, Bonnie. I have seen that and I've also seen the opposite, which I think we have to mention as well. I've seen people who were supposedly friends of somebody who has cancer and then because of the diagnosis, the, the friend, it frightens them so much that they, they sort of dropped their relationship with the person. They didn't want to have anything to, not that they didn't want to have anything to do with them, but they were fearful and their own fears got in the way so that they kind of lost or, you know, kind of relinquished the friendship. I've seen that happen as well. And that's one of the main reasons that we went forward with this book and took it from a small scale to a very complete text because People do one of two things. Either they step forward or they step back. And generally they step back, as you said, out of fear. We're afraid for our friend. We're afraid for ourselves. We don't know. We don't know how to face the issue of perhaps mortality, our own or our friends. And so rather than make a mistake, we step back and do nothing. And there is, that is really the worst thing you can do. Uh, and I think you're absolutely true. It is one or the other ways in which people will respond to this. So we wrote the book, so many of us, um, because we wanted people to feel confident, we wanted them to be informed, and we wanted them to be empowered to step forward and not feel that they were going to step in a deep hole, but feel that they had the tools in this book to prepare them when cancer strikes a friend of theirs. Yeah, I, I know. I, and actually, this was with my own sons, and a friend of mine had cancer, and um, and I had said, "Why don't you call her?" And they were, "I don't know what to say. What you know? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to say it." I said, "This is the same person you've known for twenty five years, and this person is not cancer. This person is the person who she is, and as and and so you communicate in the same way you've always communicated. And I think that that's a really, to me, that's an important point. This whole issue of communication. People start becoming really frightened about if I say the wrong thing, you know, or do I? Is there there a absolutely right?" Thing to say. You have to remember, this is still your friend. It's the same person. I mean, and, and uh, I think people sometimes tend to forget that. I think if there's one thing that your listeners would take away from our conversation, it would be this. Cancer is not who your friend is, but what your friend is experiencing. And if you can remember that, cancer no longer becomes the centerpiece of your conversation. And so you relate as you always had. Uh, the late Roseanne Kalick, who wrote um, a book on cancer etiquette, says stay connected. And if you always spoke about your friends, your children, conversations about uh, problems you had with your kids, being sensitive to the way your friend is feeling that day, um, if, if he or she is up to it, 
pose questions again. Con- continue to keep your relationship in the same vein as it always has been, because normalcy is one of the greatest gifts of friendship that you can share when someone has cancer. Cancer is the greatest out-of-control experience possible. And so if you can introduce elements of normalcy that go everything from normal conversations to saying you want to have a cup of tea, those are elements that ground people with cancer and help them to have some sort of a ballast when the rest of their life is going upside down constantly. So you are exactly right. You want to keep your friendship and your relationship as normal and as regular as it has always been. Yeah, I mean, this a friend of mine, and I, during the break, I said I would share this with you, but my best friend, since I was nine years old, just recently died of ovarian cancer. And she only lived about six months from the time of diagnosis to the time she died. And we live a distance apart uh, physically, uh, you know, and so I would call her every week and we would talk. And and then I got a sense, and we talked, as you say, in the sense of normalcy. I tend to always I crack jokes, make her laugh, and I would make her laugh, and she would say, you know, I don't laugh that much, but it's just great to be laughing with you and um, and joking. But at the same time, if she wanted to talk about, you know, her cancer, her treatment, which was horrific, I wanted her to be able to do that, too, because we always shared intimate kinds of experiences. And she did that. And she said, but sometimes I feel when I have cancer and I'm talking about it, that people that's all I am. And people don't I I don't do that much because I'm so you know, she was really housebound. Um, I have nothing else to say. I said, you have a lot to say. Let's talk about, you know, we talked about all the reading and television and stuff that we always talked about. But I think that whole sense of trying to just continue the normalcy of the relationship is good. But at the same time, acknowledging how horrific this, the, her experience was, I think that was important as well. And not try to make that sound like, well, everything is going to be okay or trying to, you know, because I don't think that's helpful either. No, and of course, the person with cancer is well aware of how serious the situation is. You're not going to be telling him or her anything they don't already know. And actually, when we say, oh, don't worry, you'll be fine, what that does is that dismisses what people with cancer are facing and feeling, and it really diminishes um, the challenges and our being able to say, look, at, you're my hero. You are handling this. And and it's awful. And we with cancer know it's awful. You are not telling us anything we haven't heard before. And when you say things like, oh, it's going to be fine, I remember I just squelched the uh, the inclination to say, and how do you know? Where did you get your medical degree? And so we we want to be honest, but we also want to be positive. And one of the things that I found um, that was very interesting to me in that came directly out of a focus group was the issue of uh, hope. And providing hope is a is a wonderful gift that you can give during cancer. And the question in the focus group was, will you please address false hope? And so I began to do a little research because I had no particular experience in this field. And uh, I began to realize from some very interesting people, in, uh, including um, a woman who, who wrote a book on, uh, on hope, and uh, her name is Elizabeth Clark, and there's another woman, Vicki Gerard. And between the two of them, they both hit upon the, the t- 
topic that there is no such thing as false hope, just hope in need of new focus and direction. That hope is critical to the cancer experience. It's critical to life. When we lose hope, we lose the impetus for living. And so you want to always have hope, but you don't want to be encouraging a hope that's not true. You don't want to be saying, of course, You'll be fine next Tuesday. Well, that's not going to happen, and maybe you're not going to be fine next year. You're not going to be fine at all. But what you want to do is find ways to reshape hope for people with cancer. At first, we all, of course, hope for a cure. Well, that isn't necessarily possible in many instances, as your friend learned. So then we hope for times with long times between recurrences. And if that isn't possible, we hope to see something specific, maybe to see a child graduate from high school or a grandchild born or see a relationship healed. You want to find from your friend the things that are at the core of his or her hope and to encourage them. And that is a gift uh, that people can do and that friends can do uh, very, very clearly. Bonnie, what about helping a friend to get their lives in order? Let's say, and and, and mm-hmm. another, a cousin of mine was diagnosed. Actually, she the doctor the doctors told her that she had three to six months to live. She called me up crying, three to six months to live. That's what they told me, and she gave me the whole diagnosis. Well, it's been almost two years later, <laughs> so they <laughs> they were inaccurate. But at the same time, she wanted to get all her you know, ducks in order. So she had to actually deal with some very practical kinds of things, which she did. So, you you know, there's a balance, I guess, right, between those two things. Like, I mean, you want to be hopeful, but if you've been told you have three or six, three to six months to live, then you want to make sure that is that you do have your business things in order, your plans, you've talked to your children or whoever you want to, you know, all of tie up the loose ends kind of thing, right? You, I mean, you want your hope to be based in reality. And that's yeah. the difference between what people consider to be false hope. What it really is is unrealistic hope. So as a friend, of course, truth is at the heart of every friendship, being able to speak the truth in love. And so you do want to be able to be that person that someone can say, look, it, I've only got a month, two months, a year. This is what they tell me. And you know, help me get my ducks in a row, as you said. And the very close friends can do that and can provide um, an incredible sense of peace for the person who is experiencing terminal cancer. And that really is one of the uh, profound gifts of friendship when people uh, are facing a diagnosis of cancer that is terminal. Provide peace in, in many different ways. And one of the first things that you can do is help them Take care of unfinished business, which is your ducks in a row theory. Yeah, and if you can business. help, I want that. to talk about that when we come back because we have to go to a break right now. Okay. Again, this is going by very quickly, but uh, we're talking to Bonnie Drager, author of When Cancer Strikes a Friend: What to Say, What to Do, and How to Help. I'm uh, Catherine Zoxer, social worker with a microphone. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
these days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. My guest this morning is Bonnie Drager. Uh, she's the author of When Cancer Strikes a Friend, What to Say, What to Do, and How to Help. And, Bonnie, I think we've covered a lot of the stuff, but th- there's a lot more in the book. One of the things that you mention is, you know, cancer is different for everybody, as we started out the show talking about, but it's also different for elderly people. I mean, I would it's somebody who has, is 85 years old and is diagnosed with cancer. It's different than that than someone perhaps who's 50 or 60 or someone who's 20 or a teenager or someone who's diagnosed as a child, because those set up a whole lot, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of different issues that are associated with each one of those age groups. And that's absolutely true. Um, I try to uh, find people to speak with who are in all different categories as far as the age spectrum to see if there were differences in the way they face cancer. And I was surprised at how many differences there were. We tend to think of cancer as being a disease that affects people that are empty nesters or uh, grandparents. But in fact, there are a lot of people who face cancer as teenagers, um, people who face cancer as as children. And so the way that um, the issues that friends face are different in supporting them. For example, people who are uh, older adults uh, are in the time of life when they are overwhelmed and overloaded. Uh, They not only have to deal with cancer, but they're dealing with a lot of losses, Uh, the loss of other friends, of their health, of mobility, of their independence. And so when you go to help them, it's going to be different than the way you would help a young mother who has a child with cancer. So uh, maybe we could touch upon how you might help people in these different stages of yeah, life. Yeah, let's, well, let's take the older person, as you say. Perhaps the older person doesn't, his spouse has died, and, and most of their friends have died. They don't have a lot of close friends left, let's say, who can help them necessarily, uh, because their friends are more limited if you're 80 or 85 years old. let's start, And as you say, they maybe have lots of different things that are, uh, you know, their, their loss of mobility, on and on. So how can a friend help that 
another friend in that kind of a situation. Well, I spoke with Gloria Stedman Sandermark, who is both a pastor and a nurse, and her area of expertise is older adults. Uh, she uh, ministers to people in the Sun Cities of Arizona, and she gave us um, nine different things that she recommended. The first was asking the question, has cancer overshadowed necessary attention to other multiple health concerns that your friend may have? Do you need to pick up medications or take them to the doctor or even schedule appointments for them? Sometimes the spouse that has already passed away is the one that was in charge of taking care of scheduling appointments. So the person now with cancer may be adrift as to how to even begin. Other things uh, were things such as, uh, does your friend need a health care advocate or someone to help with insurance? Do they need help with a dependent spouse, a sibling, or even do they have a more elderly parent? Um, you also want to watch for signs of depression in the elderly, and especially, uh, especially sleeplessness or not eating or a lack of uh, personal care, because my understanding is that depression is common in older adults who have multiple health concerns. So as a friend, you'll want to be listening, uh, because that is one of the best antidotes for depression. But you also want to be aware that maybe this person needs to speak with a counselor or a medical or a psycholo uh, psychological counselor. Um, you'll also, for the older adult, want to be in touch with that friend's uh, religious community. For many older adults, this is the centerpiece of their social life. And so people at their church may be the people who can be helping them uh, most effectively. Um, you'll also want to uh, ask them, uh, what would make your life most meaningful now? Uh, a meaningful quality of life is what is most important to people who are uh, older and who have cancer. They know that life is not measured in time. It's measured in the depth of your experiences and the quality of your life. So they tend to not worry as much about cancer, having cancer as they worry about the people they're going to leave behind. So it's a completely different experience than those who are young or who are teenagers. Uh, teenagers have issues of independence, for example. Here, uh, you're a young teen and you have cancer and you're trying to exert your independence and suddenly you are looking to your parents to take care of the most personal of needs and health care. Uh, you want to step out on your own and all of a sudden you are a dependent being again. And so the needs for teenagers are completely different than the so needs for and I, that, I mean, I think that's, obviously that's true. And I think teenagers, the embarrassment, the shame, uh, losing your hair from chemotherapy has a different meaning, let's say, than somebody who's 75 or 80 years old. Exactly. Uh, you know, all of those issues about appearance. Uh, sexuality, let's talk about that, well, you know, and, and I mean, that's a huge issue for someone who's 15, 16, 17, 18, or in college. Um, those are big issues. What can friends do to help kind of mitigate the kind of, and I, I, you know, the really difficult times that teenagers have with that, those issues? 
Well, I think, again, it's cancer is not who that person is. And, of course, in, in uh, the teenage years, this is what you're trying to figure out. Who am I? Am I my disease or am I the person that I was before? So as a friend of someone who is a, a young adult or a teenager experiencing cancer, I think the best you can give them, best gift you can give them is to help them understand they are still who they were and who they and that person is who they will be in the future. Cancer is an experience they're going through, and so if you can help nurture that person person's uh, self-esteem during those incredibly difficult years to begin with, I think that is a very important gift. Well, what can their their friends, their contemporaries do for them? Because teenagers tend to be narcissistic and somewhat selfish, and as you say, independent. Um, can Teenage friends, I mean, also, I mean, they need to help nurture their friend who has been diagnosed with cancer. They've had less experience, obviously, just world life experiences and doing stuff like that. So how, how can they be helpful? Um, I think we've all heard about the, the uh, teenagers who shave their heads in solidarity with someone who's, who's lost their hair. Uh, things like that say, we're in this with you. We are all a part of this experience. Even though we can't fully understand what you're experiencing, we're going to do something to help, our, help us understand the experience a little better and help everyone know that you are a part of our social group and we are in there for 100% for you. And I think that's a tremendous thing to do. Um, often uh, high schools will hold a locks of love uh, experience where a group of teens will support uh, someone in their school who has cancer by having their uh, head shaved and giving all of their hair to the locks of love. Uh, other things that uh, people can do, whether it's for teenagers or, or anyone, is go ahead and run in a cancer, a cancer run walk or do something where you're doing it in honor of the person who has the disease. Um, I had someone who called me and said, I just want you to know, I just heard your name mentioned at, at a cancer event where they're lighting candles for people and we're all walking X number of miles. I didn't even know they were doing that. It meant a great deal to me. Someone else wore my picture um, pinned to their shirt while they uh, participated in a marathon. Things like that, no matter what age you are, says to, to the person with cancer, these people really care about me. They are in this with me. And that is, yeah. that's critically important. Yeah, I think that is critically important. I'm reminded of a friend of mine who was diagnosed uh, in her 40s or 50s with breast cancer, and she underwent you know, her chemotherapy and I, I was with her and I said, you know, and she was, um, first of all, she said to me, do I, I don't want to, she didn't want to wear her wig. She said, are you going to be, is it going to be too upsetting to see me with, you know, bald? And this, cause this was quite a few years ago without my wig. Cause it's hot. And I said, take mm -hmm. off your wig and forget about it. And let's, you know, which she did. Uh, a few days later, we decided she had no hair and no eyebrows and, you know, no eyelashes. I said, let's, Go and she felt pretty well enough to do this. We went out. We went to one of the big department stores and we went makeup shopping. And you know, so that she got new, you know, eyebrows painted on, and we did a whole makeup thing. And you know, it was like, I mean, that was like a she a very positive thing to do. I mean, it sounds simple, but it was. I think it was quite meaningful for both of us. The issue of um, feeling beautiful uh, or handsome during cancer is very important. I asked um, 
the uh, the artist, Sigrid Olson, if she would write about the importance of beauty during cancer, because she is a cancer survivor. And she wrote about how beauty is the core of her life and her professional work, and that feeling beautiful was very important. And when she went to have breast reconstruction, she had to talk to several doctors, too, and say, you have to understand, I not only want to be well, I want to feel confident in my appearance. So who can help me with this? And then she spoke about how one of the greatest gifts that people gave her was to say, you look beautiful. You look terrific. And just to feel that confidence. And uh, I, I think that's also very, very important, whether you're giving someone, you know, a beautiful scarf to wear or whether you're going out and saying, look, you don't have to wear your wig. It's no problem. Uh, I, I think any way that you can help the person feel confident and beautiful during the cancer experience is a gift. Yeah, I, I, I do too. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, uh, maybe we as a society think, well, you know, you just you just want to be healthy. Well, you do want to be healthy. That's number one. But <laughs> all the other stuff goes along with it. You want to feel beautiful. You want to feel attractive. You all of those kinds. You know, and, and that stuff doesn't lead you. So, uh, yes, I think that really is important. So now this, this is a really difficult topic, but and, and uh, um, I think we'll go to break and then come back because Parents who have a, a child with cancer uh, face uh, just, uh, you know, lots of different kinds of issues. And, and then with young and I'm talking about young children and young children who have siblings. So uh, let's let's talk about that when we get back after the break. Uh, I'm talking to Bonnie Drager. She's the author of When Cancer Strikes a Friend, What to Say, What to Do and How to Help. I'm Catherine Zock, your social worker with the microphone. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. Don't go away. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Are you struggling to find hope in the middle of adversity? How confident are you in dealing with your life challenges? Do you realize you have the ability to overcome your obstacles? You'll want to tune in to Louise Cohen's Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities. Louise will speak to inspiring guests who have helped others or managed to overcome the roadblocks that stood in the way of their life success. Louise Cohen's Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities broadcasts live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. 
We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. My guest this morning is Bonnie Drager, and uh, she's the author of When Cancer Strikes a Friend, What to Say, What to Do, and How to Help. Before we took the break, uh, I, I asked, uh, Bonnie, uh, specifically because we were talking about the different demographics of people who are diagnosed with cancer and they have different needs um, and want different things perhaps from their friends. And, and I do want to talk about the population of parents, maybe young parents who have young children who are diagnosed with cancer, because that's a whole different group. Um, Bonnie, so what has been your experience with that? Because I think, you know, one of the worst things is, of course, is as a as a parent, I will say, is to lose a child or to think about losing a child. And so if your child's been diagnosed with cancer, uh, that's pretty scary stuff. How can a friend, you know, take a young mother, a young father, young parents? How do you how do you relate to them? What do you do when their five-year-old has been diagnosed with cancer? Well, unfortunately, I have some personal experience with this. My closest friend, Linda White, uh, was uh, has a son who was diagnosed with cancer when he was six years old. Um, he was diagnosed with Wilms tumor, which is pediatric kidney cancer, and it was a stage four cancer, so it was extremely serious. And there was a, a great question as to whether he would survive or not. And so many, many people stepped forward to help Linda and her family, and I am pleased to say that I was privileged enough to officiate at Matthew's wedding last summer. So there are wonderful stories of survival, but they they went through hell trying to uh, help Matthew get the help that he needed and also to survive as a family. Uh, they were in, uh, in Fernandina Beach, uh, Florida at the time and had to drive to um, to Jacksonville for treatment. I remember being in the car, and here is a little first grader who is going into the oncology unit, having chemotherapy in the morning, throwing up in the back of the car all the way home in a bucket, and then going to first grade in the afternoon. So it was, it's quite a unique experience and quite a, quite a devastating experience for everyone. And when I asked Linda, um, you know, what are the issues that parents face when one of their children has cancer, her first uh, response was there are so many what ifs. Uh, what if my child doesn't make it? What if the money runs out? What if I can't make it home from the hospital to meet the school bus and take care of my other children? She said you can't plan everything and everything feels out of control. So in this instance, her advice was that if you can directly help out the patient's family, you are direct indirectly giving that family time with the ill child. So she asked people to do everything from fold her family's laundry to go and and donate grocery cards so other neighbors could go and fill the refrigerator. When people have a child with cancer, they need help with everything. Yeah, so everything, and I'm and as I'm thinking of the the children, the siblings, uh, helping with the siblings and and babysitting or taking care of them or inviting them to your house or doing all those things that perhaps the parents aren't free to do would be really helpful as well. Um, I spoke next- with uh, Matthew's yeah. little sister. Well, she isn't little sister anymore, but she was at the time. She was eight when Matthew was diagnosed, and Meg said uh, she found it different difficult to relate to uh, friends in her her grade school class who 
didn't have a sick sibling. Her whole experience was having a brother with cancer. And she said, my hair was braided by the neighbors, and I ate hospital food instead of, of meals at home, and a neighbor met the school bus. She said, it was very difficult. And then she said, I was so young. My whole world uh, worldview was that maybe I'd always have a brother who had cancer. And so the siblings really are affected far more profoundly than we think. And she said that Matthew got all these wonderful toys at the hospital, and I kept thinking, where are my toys? And so what we want to do uh, to help siblings is to give them opportunities to step out of the cancer experience and just be kids, whether you're taking them to a movie or out shopping or going to go, you know, taking, taking them to school. Anything that you can do to help that child own sense of independence and self-worth uh, is, is very, very important while a sibling is experiencing cancer. Yeah, I think that's critical because I think, at least in my experience, both professionally and personally with friends, <clears throat> siblings often feel can feel very resentful of the child who has oh. cancer because they get all the attention and or they feel that they get all the attention and maybe real and the, the reality is they are getting all the attention for most of the time. So, I mean, that's a huge issue that can be uh, very uh, destructive to siblings if, 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 you know, if, and friends can be really helpful in, in making a difference, I think, in that area. Uh, I remember Linda White saying, um, you know, as, as a parent of a child with cancer, you're shortchanging your spouse and your other children, but you're trying to keep this child alive. And that is what everyone's focus is on. And so you're absolutely right. And there are wonderful um, camps for siblings of children with cancer. And Meg mentioned to me that she felt this was something that really helped her as a sibling, uh, able to go to a camp where everybody had a, had a sibling with cancer. And so you could talk about the things that were, were very difficult and everyone was on the same page. Uh, Bonnie, I want to ask you about social media. Does that come into play? Because you did mention at the beginning of the show that young people or younger people today uh, you know, have a different attitude towards cancer. It's usually, you know, we talk about it. Um, it's not like in our grandmother's generation or our mother's generation where, you know, nobody wanted to even say the word. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, and, you know, it was shameful, embarrassing. Even people, I remember one time people thought when I was a child that you could catch cancer from somebody else and that it was, you know, that you may get the disease if you touch somebody or hug somebody or kiss somebody who had cancer. Um, but today, obviously, that's just different from a social societal perspective. Do they use social media and Facebook and those kinds of things to help people uh, stay connected or support one another? One of the most important things is CaringBridge.org. This is a, um, a website that's free to any family who is experiencing a serious illness. And what people can do is if you have someone in your uh, family that has a serious illness, you can sign up for the Caring Bridge to have your own website on Caring Bridge, your own page. And then people are given, your friends are given a password. And so you can, as, as someone who is a family member or in charge of, of getting information out about the ill individual, you could post 
on, fa on this particular Caring Bridge page. And then other people uh, respond and, uh, on the page, and then the person who is ill gets to read all those responses. That is something that wasn't available when I was ill a decade ago, and I have found it is an extremely helpful tool, and I think that's a gift of social media uh, to people with cancer because they can ex keep up with their friends, and, their, and they don't have to constantly be repeating, how are you doing? I'm doing such and such. Um, and it's able, they're able to write when they feel comfortable doing it, or their spouse can write, and, but they always are able to see how people are responding to them. And they'll have hundreds and even thousands of get well wishes, and you can read them again and again and again. And it's, it's a, a wonderful, wonderful tool. So what stands out in my mind, really the word isolation, there's really no need to be isolated when you're diagnosed with cancer. Even if you are have to be in your own house and you can't get out, maybe except to go to the hospital, but you have access to all, as you just mentioned, to this website to go to if you have a computer um, so that no one has to be really phys isolated, you know, emotionally isolated or even physically isolated, but, um, and, and that's a huge difference, I think, that's, uh, and, and it's a very positive thing that, you know, in the past, as you say, perhaps in the past 10 years, um, we have a few more minutes till we close, and I know that this book, When Cancer Strikes a Friend, What to Say, What to Do, and How to Help, is kind of just the first in the series of this kind of, um, as you have described it to me, kind of a multi-tiered approach to cancer to get out there. Uh, to help people, to help families, to help friends uh, who are diagnosed with cancer. So talk to us a little bit about that. What we you know, it, it's not just, yeah, it's the book, but a whole lot of other stuff. Well, the book is just the first part of a three-tiered project. This is a nonprofit project. All of us over the last decade have donated our time and our expertise. Uh, and the intention is to improve the lives of people with cancer through the education and empowerment of their friends, colleagues, and neighbors. And so the book is the first phase. The next phase um, I'm in the midst of now for the next year or two, I'll be traveling around the country uh, giving free lectures and uh, workshops to uh, to organizations, to churches, to community groups, um, helping them understand that there's a tool available and here's how you use it and here's how you can uh, make a difference in the life of someone with cancer just by becoming educated yourself. Then as, as the book, uh, as sales of the book uh, increase, we're hoping it will be successful enough that all of the money that comes in as author profits will go directly into the nonprofit and we will then be able to give grants to organizations and people. And these grants, one of the things we want to do, of course, is to continue cancer education. But another part of the nonprofit Friends in Cancer, that one of our stated exempt purposes is to be able to give grants to help improve um, the lives of people such as families and children at risk of life-threatening illnesses. We want to be able to provide some ways to help deter life-threatening illnesses in children and families at risk, whether that means being able to uh, 
fund projects such as clean water or whether it means vaccinations or whether it means health education, anything that can improve those lives. So this project really, this is a, we're in our infancy in our first decade, but hopefully it will continue on and the success of the book will enable us to uh, make a difference on the health front for years to come. Well, Bonnie, you're doing great work, and I certainly commend you. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to with all the other uh, projects that you're doing. Uh, Bonnie Drager is author of When Cancer Strikes a Friend, What to Say, What to Do, and How to Help. And you can also go to the website, friendsandcancer.org. So uh, great talking to you today, and uh, we'll have you back as you continue on with the project. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you. We're going to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you have been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a good week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests.